like to thank you for joining us at the A Friend For You podcast. We're a group of people who are striving to know the one true friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that friend is Jesus. We're striving to expand the kingdom of Jesus around the podcast waves. You are a part of a movement expanding that kingdom around the country and around the world. We are making disciples in 12 countries around the world, and in the United States, we're sharing Jesus in 24 states. In our home state of Ohio, People are hearing about Jesus in 46 of our counties and 110 of those communities around the United States. And all Jesus has met with people 1,915 times through this podcast. How does that happen? Well, friends of the podcast like you listen to the podcast and then they share this podcast with others. We started into a series of messages called Jesus Picks a Posse. We were talking about how Jesus selected his disciples. As we were going through our discussions of John, we found out that he wrote in a very personal nature. He wrote in first person about Jesus because he was there with Jesus. There are 10 times in John's gospel that Jesus says, I am. If we want to find out about Jesus, who he is, what he does, what he stands for, let's go straight to the source and find what Jesus says about himself. So we've broken into our series called Jesus Picks a Posse with another series called The Ten I Am's of Jesus. Today, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world in John chapter eight. Let's jump right into John chapter 8 and verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have the basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So the festival of tabernacles is over and Jesus returns to the temple courts at dawn. Instantly, a crowd forms and Jesus takes the customary teacher position and sets down. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they bring a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Now, I want to make some very quick observations. It's a very common thing that's happening at the time. This this act of adultery, pretty much everybody is doing it. Now, that doesn't make it correct, but it's kind of a normal practice. And it's a practice that really they're not punishing the people for doing it if they're caught in such a a violation. But here they come to Jesus and they interrupt his teaching and they bring this woman. Now, it would seem that they must have set up this whole thing because Jesus has just started to teach early in the morning and they're bringing this woman. It must have been set up before Jesus even started teaching. We also see that the woman must have been married because it's not called fornication, it's called adultery. So this woman is acting uh, out in adultery 
and we see that the leaders supposedly see this action. They say she was caught in the act, but they only bring the woman and they leave the man out of the indictment. Many scholars surmise that the other guy might have been one of the religious leaders using this woman to set up the plan to trap Jesus here. The law of Moses commands that the people stone an adulterous woman and the man for their sin. But in the state of captivity that the Israelites were in, they could not do such a thing without Roman involvement. So the religious leaders have set up a no-win situation for Jesus. To forgive the sin is to neglect to follow the law of Moses. To condemn the woman was to usurp the authority of the Romans. But Jesus, as always, he has a level head when uh, being involved with conflict. He doesn't reach or, or react harshly. He just bends over and starts riding in the sand. Verse 7 says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He stooped down again and wrote more on the ground. I can guess that the majority of us have been around the church, and, and we've probably heard this story a bunch of times, and we get to the place we kind of know the drill. The religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus, so they get this woman uh, and she's having an affair very likely with one of the very same group of religious leaders trying to set the trap. And they set a trap for Jesus by asking what they should do. Should they stone her or should they not stone her? Allow me to give a little bit more background, historically speaking. The act of adultery and fornication were so common at the time that it was usually completely ignored by these leaders. Furthermore, it was well known that many of these same religious leaders were involved in the acts of adultery and fornication themselves. And that makes Jesus, Jesus' answer all the more perfect. He says, let the one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. But that's how we translate that phrase. Let the one of you that is without sin. In Greek, Jesus uses the phrase and it gives much more. It means let any of you who has not done this particular sin cast the first stone. What happens? Every single one of them leave. Why did they all leave? Because they were all involved in the same sin. The Jewish version of this stoning they were talking about doing to this woman happened this way. The accused was taken up on a scaffold uh, about 10 or 12 feet off the ground. Their hands were tied behind their back. They were generally stripped half naked. One of the accusers would push her from the scaffold, and then the other would cast the first stone. This would be a large stone and used to crush the person by hitting her in the breast. And the, the first stone very likely was the death blow. So Jesus is saying the person not doing the same type of sin gets to kill this lady all the time, knowing full well that they were all sinning in the exact same way. So Jesus bends down to write in the sand. A woman's life is hanging in the balance. He lays down the answer that can satisfy the law and the love. So the religious leaders are caught 
in their own trap. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what we see here is one by one, starting with the older and wiser guys, they all realize they're just as guilty and are deserving to be stoned themselves. So they leave one by one, hanging their head once again, beaten by the one that they're trying to get rid of. Soon, it is just the woman and Jesus left. Now, let me clarify. They're in the temple courts. There's lots of people around. Jesus has been teaching a crowd and, and was interrupted by this situation. Those people are probably still there listening to Jesus teach. But all the accusers have left. So when Jesus asks her, where is everyone? He's referring to those accusers. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, is the humble answer. She knows that she's still guilty. She could still be condemned by Jesus and she would still be stoned. She could have tried to argue here that she's not really guilty. It was a setup. Where's the guy? It takes two. <laughs> she could say, if everyone is doing this, why am I being punished for it and no one else? But she just says, no one, sir. Jesus has this woman dead to right. Her actions brought the penalty of death. If Jesus was calling out the actions of the crowd and even the religious leaders, surely he would exercise his right to condemn this woman. After all, out of everyone in the crowd, Jesus was the only one worthy of casting the first stone because he had never sinned. So hold on. Here it comes. This poor woman is going to get it. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Wow. Grace. Forgiveness. How could Jesus overlook a sin like that? Well, the process of his coming was to seek and save the lost. The salvation of Jesus covers a multitude of sins, even adultery. Jesus chooses to forgive and not condemn. This woman is given a new chance at life, but Jesus doesn't just leave her there. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Once we have the saving interaction with Jesus, we're to leave our old way of life and follow after him into a new life. And we're changed forever by him. This is what makes meeting Jesus such an amazing thing. We're not left in our sin. We're saved, but we're not even left in our old way of living. We're giving a new way of life. There is evidence that the crowd Jesus was teaching never left. 
You see, after Jesus lets the woman return to her now changed life, he continues to teach the crowd. They were always there. But listen to the words he tells the crowd. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We live in a world that seems so full of darkness. Things seem so much more evil in the dark. Things seem so much more sad in the dark. Things seem so much more fearful in the dark. We feel hopeless in the dark. But with Jesus, we don't have to be in the dark. With Jesus, we don't have to leave others in the dark either. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When we are lost in the dark, we can look to him. He is the light for the world. You know that when we see or when we share just a little bit of the light, it can chase away the darkness. When we share Jesus, we will never walk in the darkness. This is an amazing thing. We can fly in clarity and direction over the fears of the unknown. And those fears can be conquered because Jesus is our light. We can get out of the darkness and have a life that is in the light. But let me give a caution. And that is, in the light, we can see so much better our imperfections. We are truly exposed before God. He will see everything. Now, he already sees everything, but it's so more evident when we're in that light. In the light, we've got to keep short accounts of our wrongdoings. We have to make ourselves right with God immediately because there's no darkness to hide those wrongs in. So we need to make sure that we are living right with God. And then the light is a, is a source of joy, not a source of, of shame. So what have we heard today and what does it mean to me? How does Jesus bring a little light into our world today? Well, what we've seen is that Jesus never left the temple courts he had been teaching in during the Festival of Tabernacles. Early in the morning after the festival, Jesus was teaching and a crowd formed. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. It's interesting that the religious leaders didn't bring the man, but just the woman. Have you ever experienced religious leaders trying to destroy someone's reputation? Have you ever seen some people being prosecuted for something that seemingly a whole bunch of other people were doing, but somehow they got uh, called out on it? So these teachers of the law, they broke in on the teaching that Jesus was doing, and they asked Jesus what to do with this woman. This was part of a preconceived plan to trap Jesus. There is no way they could have gotten this woman and brought her to Jesus so quickly unless there was a previous plan in place. Adultery was very commonplace at the time. And as we'll find out, it was even practiced uh, by the, the religious leaders, and it was never normally prosecuted. This was clearly a trap. If Jesus kills her, where's the love in that? If Jesus says, let her go, where's the law? No way to answer that correctly, thus the trap. Now, my first question here, is it ever wise to try to trap God? Of course not. Then my question is, why do we see it done again and again? Why is it so easy to point fingers at others who are doing the same types of evil that we're doing? 
seems like this that are doing the same evils that we're doing really get to us, really bother us. And it's easy to call them out and try to hide our own sin. Jesus bends down and he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. What do you think Jesus is writing? Maybe what he wants for breakfast. Maybe, maybe it's the name of the guy that was supposedly with this woman. Maybe the names of others in the crowd who had been sinning in the exact same way. What's your guess? What do you think he was writing? When the accusers don't let up and they press Jesus for an answer, Jesus rises and says, let the one who isn't doing this sin cast the first stone. Everyone realizes that they can't and they all leave. Ever been caught red-handed, dead to rights in a sin? How'd that make you feel? Have you ever watched someone else go down for something that you were also guilty of and got away with? How'd that make you feel? If the crowd didn't mind setting up this poor sinful woman, why didn't someone just lie and throw the first stone? But soon all of the accusers are gone and Jesus asks the woman if there's anyone to accuse her and she says, no one, sir. Can you imagine the range of emotions that, that she's going through at this time? Pulled away at an embarrassing time and then the mob trying to stone you with just a few words. You're alone with the one person who could still stone you. How do you feel in front of Jesus knowing that your actions deserve death? Jesus turns the whole mockery of a trial on its side with the next two statements. Then neither will I condemn you. Wow. God giving you a pass on your just punishment. Go and sin no more. These are the reason that Jesus came to earth. He provides salvation. He does not condemn us. And we are made into new creations that can go and sin no more. When was the last time you felt the burden or the realization that Jesus paid for the sin that you deserve to die for? Do you realize what it means that Jesus tells you, you are not condemned, now go and be who I created you to be and sin no more? Wow. Jesus returns to teaching the crowd. Uh, they're still there. He, they're still there listening to him. And Jesus never misses a beat. Here he lays down an amazing statement that changes the way we all see him from now on. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in the darkness, but they will have the light of life. The world's obviously a dark place. We know that anytime we see the news, uh, but the darkness is often in us too. These best of the best Israelites, the religious leaders are willing to put this woman's life on the line to try to make Jesus look bad. And on top of that, they're going to trap Jesus by killing this lady for doing something that they were also involved in. But Jesus brings their dark deeds to the light. No one can throw the first stone because they were doing the very same evil themselves. We are all sinners that live in the darkness. Do you feel like the world's a dark place sometimes? Do you feel like the past, your past, is part of that darkness? 
Have you ever noticed that the church people, i.e. religious people, can be the most vicious people in the world? Why are we so unlike Jesus? In the dark, there seems no hope, only fumbling around trying to survive. But Jesus changes all that. I am the light of the world. Jesus brings light into the darkness. Sins are exposed, and we bring shame upon ourselves. But Jesus doesn't leave us to die in our sins. If we're willing to follow after Jesus and receive his salvation, we can continue in the light. Jesus offers the woman here salvation. She should have been stoned. Jesus, as the non-sinner, would have been able to cast that first stone, but he chose to not condemn the woman. But he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't leave her in her sinful pattern, but go and sin no more. You see, whoever follows Jesus is no longer in darkness. We are fully exposed before Jesus. He sees everything. But get this, even though Jesus sees everything and knows about all our darkest sin, he offers for us to walk in his light and be made into a new person. We don't have to continue in the darkness because we have the light of life. Do you ever feel like hope is fading away into the darkness that this life can bring? How does it make you feel knowing that Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay for your sin, to give you a hope and a new life? How can you accept the salvation from Jesus and then go forward and make our lives better? How does that work? How does that happen? Is it really possible to sin no more, to have a new life, to be a new creation? Jesus would say yes. I would like to thank you for listening to the A Friend For You podcast. You are now a part of a movement that's sharing Jesus with people around the country and around the world. Jesus brings light into a dark place and helps us to escape the chains of our sin. If you're struggling in your darkness, I encourage you to talk to the light of the world. Jesus can help you to find hope. I encourage you to take a few minutes to visit the A Friend For You Facebook page. The application questions are going to be posted there, and you will be able to better apply what you've heard to your own life. And you can let Jesus make a difference and bring light into your life. Please share the light of Jesus by sharing this podcast with three other people. And God bless.